Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Your mom put that Kodak Rolling gold in that Vivitar camera every birthday at Chuck E. Cheese, you know, or whatever you were doing. So it's Welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. And this, our first show of the year, we've got the second part of our feature on the zone system. Remember that? No. Well, hopefully somebody does. We are interviewing Danielle Robleski, a.k.a. Girl with Too Many Cameras. There's the answering machine, and we'll finally talk about our winter projects, right? We'll do that this time. I think so. But first, Vanya, how the hell are you? Well, I'm quite fine. How are you? I'm, I'm doing very well, thank you for asking. Uh, so excited. Wrapping up this holiday nonsense, cool. getting back to normal life. Uh, maybe? Possibly. I hope so. Right? What's normal at this point, though? I do not know. No, no idea. Um, as we record this, it's still technically December. It's actually December 31st. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yes. We're getting very, very close. <laughs> oh, it's, it just shows you what our social lives are now. But go on. <laughs> I know everyone is hoping for a new year that can wash the shit stain that was 2020. It's awful. But we all... <laughs> So no, awful. it's not that simple, of course. So with my pessimistic bad attitude, I will keep working on my projects, try to surf, to stay sane, of course, and photograph something interesting, hopefully. I've had a lot of messages about, like, a new zine, and yeah. it's definitely been on my mind. Well, it's been a little bit more than on your mind. You've been working on it. I have been working on it. Yeah. I mean, I've been stalling, but I did make a lot of progress recently yeah. with your help. We kind of uh, went through it together. I, I sent him a few of my um, rough drafts, just trying to get a good flow. This zine is not about surfing, <laughs> so no. I think I, <laughs> I, I know a lot of people want to probably see a zine with my new water housing and i'm sure that will come in time i but i i just got it and i'm still trying to kind of figure it out and get really comfortable with it Mm -hmm. so this zine will be something different it'll be from the trips on the road and stuff not in the ocean but i'm looking forward to releasing it it's gonna be this this year i know it's gonna be 2021 for sure i can tell you that (laughs) i'm not gonna release it tonight it'll probably be three three or four weeks right I think so. Yeah, I think so. How about uh, how about you? What you been up to? I'm not really one of those people <laughs> who makes a big thing about a date change. I'm not the new year, new me kind of guy. If I want to make a change, I make a change when I want to make it rather than waiting for a certain time. So I'm a lot of fun. Uh, I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still unemployed. Um, I've been filling my time with zine making and project doing. I've, I've got a new zine coming out. I think it should be out like next week. Yes, I saw it. I saw it. Really I'm in it. it. I'm you, in you it. You are in it. Um, I've been shooting a lot, which I'll get into with the Winter Projects thing. And I've been developing a lot, too. A lot of x-ray film, which is a very, very different way of developing. I think we'll probably do a dev party about that. Yeah, you've been getting comfortable with your little dark tent, haven't you? I, I am. I'm getting very comfortable in the dark tent. But anyway, with the winter, I, I do like experimenting a little bit. I want to try some new things. And I want to try my project now. 
guys, calm down. This is very exciting. I want to try to develop X-ray film and pyro PMK. What? Hold on. Yeah, pretty crazy. I need to calm down. This is very exciting. (laughs) If it works, I'll let you know. Well, do it on dev parties because, you know, you know what they say about dev parties. We make the mistakes, so you don't have to... I'm trying to make that a thing. It's, well, <laughs> it is a thing for sure. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, I was thinking about it because, you know, we all, you know, make mistakes, of course, and we definitely do it and we just publish it because why not, right? I was thinking, how boring would it be <laughs> if it was always success, right? I mean, it's always like a wild card. Like, are they going to fuck this up? <laughs> is that why people listen? Maybe. I don't know, do honestly. They take bets? No, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that they like to develop while they're listening to dev party which is insanity (laughs) horrible why why do that to you it's people have said people have messaged us and say yeah i fucked up because i was listening to you while i was developing and i'm like yeah never again well who would have thought who would have thought that would have happened (laughs) i guess also too happy anniversary to dev party yeah dev party is a year old now a year old. Oh Can you God. believe it? Yeah. It's going to start Aww. crawling and teething. and yeah. It's already been crawling and teething. We're I just don't... waiting for them first steps. <laughs> is that what that is? Yeah, it's been, yeah. It's been a long time. So, <laughs> Eating uh, solid foods. <laughs> I can't wait till Dev Party starts eating solid foods. That's going to be... We can be able, then we can take pictures of Dev Party with food all over its face. Uh, obviously. It's so gross. Because everybody wants to see that. Oh my God, I want to see that right now. <laughs> I absolutely love this part of the show because we get to listen to the answering machine, and I've actually never heard it. I don't know if you guys know this, but yeah, you listen I to just it go for it. Yeah, I do. Right I here. like it. <laughs> Our question this time around was, do you have any money-saving film photography-based hacks to share with the rest of us? Pretty simple. How do you cut corners? A lot of photographers are like, well, if you're going to spend a lot of money on big cameras, you shouldn't cut corners anywhere. And of course, that's bullshit. So how do you cut corners? And we've got some answers. Ooh. Ooh. So, Vanya. Yes. Push the button. Hello. No one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey you guys, need slice of time here. So, to save some money on film, I've made myself a huge spreadsheet with all the, the film stocks that I like separated between color and black and white. And it's a list with local stores, online stores, and European stores, so I can keep track of the, of the prices, if they change or not, and which is the cheapest. Thank you guys, and Happy New Year! That is a lot of work. This is the perfect amount of geekiness for me. I I know. You're like, ooh, spreadsheet. <laughs> um, I love spreadsheets. Do you remember Farmville? Is that the like the app thing that you like grow stuff? Yes. It was that. Yeah, yes. I do remember. Um, I that. got really into it to the point where I did create a spreadsheet on when to plant crops for the best turnaround. <laughs> I should be embarrassed by this, but I'm not. And what he's done. I've done before. I don't keep it up and running, but I, I, I have done it before. That's amazing. Yes. So I love it. I love it. Hey, Eric. Hey, Vanya. This is Jeff Maraki. Dirty Grain Photos on Instagram. You guys are really speaking my language when it comes to cheap film photography. That's That's been my bread and butter. When I got into this a few years ago, that the 
best bang for your buck as far as cameras went were Minolta's. They're quite capable cameras and you can get them for a lot cheaper than you could pick up a Canon or a Nikon. And they've been quite good to me. And then film, just as find the best film you can for cheap. Ultrafine 400 was great when you could get it. Kent Near is good. And then cheap drugstore color film. And then of course you gotta develop it yourself. You can't uh, send that to a lab. Thanks, you guys. Oh my gosh, this guy is speaking my language, Absolutely. Jeff. <laughs> Minolta, check. Ultrafine, double check. Kentmere, triple check. <laughs> yeah. He's got the, the, the rare quadruple check. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, everything, everything, everything. Also, Minoltas are great. That was my first camera. I still have a bunch of Minoltas. Mm-hmm. I... Love them. I shot a Minolta X370, 375, something like that. Uh-huh. And I loved it. It was a great 35. Really, really yeah. good camera. Minolta's are good cameras. Yes, yeah, they are. This is my sort of money-saving tip. It's about making your fixer last better. What I do is I have two lots of fixer on the go, and every film goes through fix one and fix two. So fix one is there to take all the unused silver off and get all the... Uh, things out and it all goes into there. Fix 2 is a nice clean set of fixers so that when it's finished you've got all the nice products and things on it so it finishes in clean fixer. When your fix 1 doesn't pass its film end strip test you chuck that out, your current fix 2 becomes your new fix 1, you make some new fixer up that becomes fix 2 and then you're carrying on and it means that you can carry on using your fix 1 until it's really properly exhausted. That is, like, so rad. People make up the rad... I mean, that just makes sense. It, it I like that. Does it? I love yes. it. Don't get me wrong. I love this idea. This is insane. I don't <laughs> think there's a reason to do it. Because once your fixer is expired, it's just expired. Like, when it's exhausted, you know? Yes. I don't know that having two fixers... I mean, it, you make sure... That it's exhausted. Two fixers is better than one. Well, what about three fixers? Where's the, where does it end? <laughs> Two's but, enough. Calm but, down. Where he caught me on this, where he got me on this, is when he when fixer two becomes fixer one. Yes, For some I like reason, that. and I don't know why, because honestly, this does not make sense. When he said that, I was like, yes, I'm down. I want this. And I might just <laughs> do it. Again, it makes no sense. This does not make sense, but I love it. Well, I'm wondering, he's doing this for paper and film. Oh, maybe. So it makes sense, like Dirty Fixer. No one likes Dirty Fixer. Yeah, see, I don't know enough about it. If it does make sense and I'm just way off, I'm sorry. I still love the idea. I love gratuitous, pointless things when it comes to photography. I love it. I don't know (laughs) if it saves money. It definitely doesn't save time. I love this idea. I think it does. And it, you get a clean fix. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure dirty fixes are a problem, though. <laughs> so, Dustin, I don't want to belittle the idea. I love doing things like this. Yeah. It is insanity. But I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So home developing and bulk loading and buying expired film, even though it's totally not as cheap as it used to be, they're all part of the story here. But for me, I think it also comes down to how can I be purposeful and selective in the shots that I actually take? 
big component of that for me is really knowing my film stock and recognizing that a lot of scenes I come across in a given day just aren't going to render the way that I want on what I happen to have loaded in my camera. And that's okay. I might shoot digital on some of those. I might also just recognize that there's a lot of other talented photographers out there that are making gorgeous images and I can appreciate them without feeling the need to make versions of them myself. That's not to say that I should only be taking pictures that have never been taken before because that's bullshit, but it does mean that it's okay not to take a shot and you can find a more focused sense of style for yourself in the process as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was like loaded. It was. He knew he had 60 seconds and he got two minutes worth of words in there. <laughs> <laughs> he did. I don't even know where to begin. You know, he, he doesn't shoot shots that he doesn't want to. He doesn't do the spray and pray. He mm -hmm. just takes pictures that he knows he's going to want to take pictures of. And yeah. I like that idea. I think 4x5 and large format in general, and even medium format to an extent, really drives that home. Yeah, I think so. But you can apply it to anything. You can apply it to iPhone photos if you really wanted to. Of course. I like the idea a lot. Um, and you know, it, it immediately makes me think of when we were at Canyonlands. Mm -hmm. Everything at Canyonlands has been photographed to death. Everything. Yes. And you're setting up a shot and you're just going, there's nothing I can do with this shot that hasn't been done before and done better before. Mm -hmm. And it's really disheartening as hell. <laughs> yeah. So, so Seriously. Dis so disheartening. You're setting it up going, this is beautiful, but this is this is such a shit place to shoot yeah i've been feeling like that a little bit with like national parks in general you yeah. know you go to these like spots where iconic photos have been taken and you're like what am i doing here yeah. and there's like 500 people in my shot so what am i doing here exactly that's why national grasslands and national monuments especially small national monuments are the way to go mm -hmm. less people which is great for covid and you know people who just don't like being around people mm -hmm. and you get things you haven't seen before i can enjoy other people's pictures and i'm not going to get something that's as amazing maybe as so and so but being able to like kind of be okay with that and do it anyways is kind of awesome too <laughs> you know like when i've <laughs> Got the the Graflex pacemaker. Like one of the first shots I took was was in Yosemite. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I just went for it. I was like, all right, I'm gonna hike up here and I'm gonna take the shot. And now I have a memory of it. And maybe I think figuring out the camera and making the mistake and seeing those first sheets that I got were maybe not like the most amazing sheets I've ever done, but they were my first. Yeah. And that's special, I guess. It is. Also, you should totally like what he was saying about film emulsions and knowing like you know how to shoot it that's so important yeah that should be a spreadsheet right there like personally you know if you know like what time of day like what kind of light something works i think it's it's important to write these kind of note notations down in your books not just like putting like you know your camera settings but also like what the conditions were that day hey vanya and eric this is mina from sydney australia I'm crook and flail on Instagram. My three tips for money saving would be to bulk roll your own black and white and color maybe if you can find it. Um, with normal prepackaged film, wind it onto the sprockets as you normally would, but close the back, tighten the rewind slightly, and watch it roll the first time. That will save you two or three shots, um, and that adds up over the course of a few months. Use higher dilutions when you're doing home development, uh, if you can. And the third thing is, if you're gonna go buy a camera, um, don't overlook the plastic fantastics from the 90s and early 2000s. They're really high featured, they're quite cheap in comparison to the older cameras, um, and they'll save you money.
dude, like just perfect advice. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I mean, the more you do yourself, the more DIY you are with film photography, the cheaper it's going to be. Yeah, totally. And honestly, those 90s bodies, they might not look as cute as like an older SLR, but those are good and cheaper because they don't look as, you know, fan, you know, like old school. You yeah. know, they're a little newer looking. So you can get really good deals on these cameras that are quite amazing. Hi, you two. Marius Aka Kaitingmare here. I started to divide up my 35mm rolls into two rolls. Um, I have a 3D printer at home and a friend of mine developed a small gadget that helps you Respool basically one f- spool into two spools with each 16 or 17 frames in it. And when I'm out shooting, I'm a bit more flexible with that. So if the lighting changes or I want to shoot color instead of black and white for some reason, I can switch a bit e- earlier than the 36 frames of a normal spool. So I don't have to basically shoot out the rest of the roll b- before I can sh- switch the film. And I basically, yeah, I'm a bit more flexible and I basically get two rolls out of one. See? Two fixers, two rolls. Um, Two. <laughs> yeah. I, I Again, this is another one. I don't know if it saves money, but it really is handy. Uh, it reminds me of when we're using the Mamiya's with the interchangeable backs, where, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to finish the roll here. And if it's only, you know, 15 exposures or whatever per the roll, and that's really a lot easier to do than a 36. But with the Mamiya backs, you can just swap them out anytime because they have dark slides. So yeah. if you're if you're into that, Marius, try looking into like the Mamiya RB67s with the interchangeable or any camera with an interchangeable back. It's uh, I would say as far as photography goes, kind of life changing. Yeah, I would say so. Eric and Banya, absolute cheapest way I've found is ultra fine bulk rolled. Shoot it through a cheap camera. Develop with monobath DF96. Scan it with the Epson V550. That's how I save money to shoot black and white. Have an awesome day. Well, we talked about all of those things except for monobath. <laughs> He's got it down. I have never used a monobath. Uh, you have, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's actually pretty nice. We were supposed to make our own. You were going to use the Cinestill monobath and I was going to make my own. Yes. Which uh, HC110, ammonia, and something else. I, I know. Think. I kind of want to do that too, but I think I might explode my house. <laughs> None of that is explosive. <laughs> Hey, this is Justin Gordon here, sitting in my truck in a parking lot in Ashland, Oregon. I shoot a lot of black and white film on my Pentax 6x7. My only real cost is the film itself, which often I get on eBay, uh, expired film. But I just develop everything in the garage. And then for printing, I have, I just get old stock Agfa Brovira for pennies on the dollar and develop uh, film with R09 at like uh, one one hundredth of dilution. So really the expense is all in the film and keeping it cheap. Thanks. You can cut corners in a lot of places so you don't have to cut corners in the places that are really important like film. Also, by the way, I just have to say I love Ashland, Oregon so much. It reminds me of living up north and it was like either you go down to Arcata or you go up to Ashland. I was like right in the middle. So oh, yeah. either one of those places were like the <laughs> a getaway from Crescent City. <laughs> Resident cheap ass and film photographer Ancillary Adams here. Um, one of the big ones, if you want to get into the Nikon F film system, shoot Nikkor mats. Um, my preference would be going with the Nikkor mat FT2. Um, you can try to find the FT3, which will have the uh, 
AI and AIS mount. Um, FT2 is a little bit more rel or, uh, plentiful than the, as opposed to the FT3 because that's right around when they went, jump to the FM. Um, another one would be save your canisters from your 35mm film if you develop your own stuff so that way you can bulk load later. Yes. Let me start from the end. The bulk loading thing, instead of opening up the cans, use a leader retriever, pull out your film, obviously in a bag, and then give yourself like, you know, about a half inch or so, and then cut that down. So then you have it sticking out for later. Say it's like, mm, I don't know, like mom emulsion, perhaps like some Kodak gold can. You got the 400 speed. Yeah. The DX code. So you can use it in those fancy cameras if you wanted to. Oh, nice. So, okay. Everything else that he said, was he talking about, are they lenses? No, he's talking about the camera bodies. Because they're like Nikon cameras, but they're Nikkor mats. They're just, okay. I think it's just like their, I don't know, their other brand yeah, he, or something. It's, it, it, I love this guy. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> Gear Talk, when it starts going, oh, this F2, they start doing the F3, and then with this, it, my brain melts. <laughs> it just melts. And mine does it. I'm a closet gear person. Yeah. yeah Everybody knows I, it now. I don't know. I don't know what he said, but. Uh, if anybody does, uh, follow that advice. It's probably good advice. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> My brain is just all <laughs> melty now. So let's hit our last one. I'm all about trying to save a buck, so I'll keep it simple. At this point, in what film photography is, the bargain hunt, the thrift store, the estate sale are all part of the process, just like printing, developing, and shooting. There we go. He's, I mean, that's, yes, uh, for sure. I yeah. mean, I just got a ton <laughs> Ton of two and a quarter, three and a quarter holders from him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this guy knows you what he's talking about. You get those fines sometimes. Well, all wonderful answers and a lot of great advice. So Vanya, what uh, mm. what advice do you have? What are your? Hats? I feel like I kind of sprinkled it in through you all the did. answers, but I'll say it again. Why not? <laughs> okay. A little bit of an investment. So if you plan on shooting film, there are some things to consider. If you're going to be shooting more than, say, like four rolls of film, I would invest in the scanner. This will allow you to get your film developed at a lab, but opt out for anything extra. Scan at your home. So much easier. Just do dev only. Mm -hmm. But if you go that far, I would say get a tank and reels and a bottle of HD 110 to start. You will find that it's super, super simple to develop yourself. Oh my God, it is. And then third, bulk film in a bulk loader for 35, of course. They don't have that for 120. But if they did, I would have it because that would be amazing. I would start with something cheap, affordable. I've said these things before. Kentmere, Ultrafine, Mama Motion, Kodak Gold, whatever, you Mm -hmm. know. I don't think they have that in bulk, though. No, you can still find some color in bulk, but mostly bulk at this point is black and white. Oh, you can do Vision 3, but then you have to get all that remjet off yourself. Yeah. But you can find that for fairly cheap Very online cheap, sometimes. Yeah. So if you're willing to uh, bust out some baking soda and get all that black gunk off, I would go for it. Yep. It's easy to remove. Yes. So, you know, you'll you'll get to shoot a lot more, kind of practice learn the emulsion, like, like just kind of like getting to know the emulsion, what works, what doesn't work, depending on, you know, day, weather, all that stuff, you know, it, it does make a huge difference. Yeah. Usually our cheap film we would suggest at this moment is the Ultrafine, which we are very patiently waiting for. Yes, Ultrafine so. needs to come back. Until then, I'm using Arista, which is Fomapan. Yeah, Fomapan's great too, yep. or Arista, yes. Yep. 
And for so for me, uh, I guess for large format, I've been cutting my own X-ray film, and this is kind of a commitment and a big deal. But it's it's probably about pennies on the dollar as far as cost goes. Ooh. It's ortho film, so you're not having the full spectrum, but you get used to it or learn ways to work around it. I've also been using for a couple of years now Arista ortho litho film. It's really thin, really flimsy, and it's touchy. But if you get it right. It'll it'll be a really amazing thing. I've gotten I've gotten pretty good at this. So if you have any questions mm-hmm. about it, let me just let me know. I'll I'll try to do my best for answering it. That's the thing about those like you know, X ray too. Like yeah. the flimsy like scratch is super easy, but when you like see the detail, yeah, um, and the grain structure, you're just like, oh, oh okay. yeah, this is yeah. <laughs> I've been getting X-ray film to look like Fomapan. That's but but what I've been doing lately is is that. So mm-hmm. if you like the way Fomapan looks, but you don't want to pay the Fomapan prices, which are actually pretty cheap, you can make X-ray film look like it pretty much. Skies, maybe not, but everything else looks well, pretty good. So and then also too, if you're new to large format, like you're gonna need to obviously practice and four by five film is very very expensive. Yeah. So you know you can pay for like what ten sheets of like. Kodak Ektar for 50 bucks, or you can get a, um, how much are you getting like out of a pack of, uh, x-ray? I'm getting 400 sheets for about 30 bucks. Okay. So that's (laughs) like, what? A couple cents? Yeah. Yeah. You do have to cut it down yourself. You know, it's a small price to pay. Uh, another thing kind of, no one's really touched on this is you'll see in camera shops and websites and all that, that they sell bottles, empty bottles, empty plastic bottles for a lot of money. (laughs) You can go to the grocery store and buy your own bottles with like stuff in them. And you can drink that stuff if you want to, or pour it out and it'll still be cheaper than buying empty bottles. (laughs) It just, you don't need opaque bottles for this stuff. You just need bottles. If you want to keep it in a dark area, it's the same thing as having an opaque bottle. So go do that. The bottles you're talking about, it's easier to kind of squeeze them and get all the oxygen it out is, of them, yeah. which is better for your chemicals. So, Yep. So flimsy plastic bottles, the way to go. Yep. <laughs> Most of us in the Northern Hemisphere are hunkering down, not only because of COVID, but because of the colder weather. And being cozy is awesome. So we thought it would be nice opportunity to talk about the things that we would like to achieve this winter. Yeah. So finally, we're going to be talking about our winter projects. We've kicked this (laughs) idea around for over a month now. So earlier this year, I picked up a Shamini 4x5 camera. And prior to that, I was using the Intrepid for about three years. I sort of grew out of the Intrepid. It's a wonderful camera. I really, really love it. It's probably the best 4x5 camera to start with. So I have it now, by the way. <laughs> you do. I gave it to Vanya. Uh, I thought that upgrading to something like the Chamonix would allow me to take everything I learned with the Intrepid and apply it to the new camera. I wasn't wrong exactly. I mean, most of the knowledge is transferable. It's the same basic camera. What didn't cross over, however, was the connection I had to the camera. This isn't like some like sentimental thing, but like things like muscle memory. I felt like I really understood the Intrepid. Uh, I could do pretty much whatever I wanted to do with it, and I knew what kind of shot I was going to get with it when I when I pushed the button. The same can't really be said with me and the Chamonix at this point. So after a couple of, well, after a few months with it, like half a year with it, I felt just as uncomfortable with it as when I started. Like I'd, I'd put it on the tripod and I would just be like, 
barely making my way through it. And I think my photos showed. I got some good ones because, you know, I'm in places where it's hard to get a bad photo. But I've gotten a lot of bad ones as well. So after... Um, so this winter, I've been shooting in Seattle, in the city, uh, a few times a week. So like with the Chamonix, I never really felt all that comfortable in Seattle. I lived here for 12 years, I guess. And well, I certainly, certainly feel okay with it, but I don't feel comfortable shooting here. I've shot, shot it here and there a little bit, but never really all that much. And my photos kind of show that I'm not all that interested in it. So... This is sort of a two birds, one stone situation. I want to know both the camera and the city a little bit better, right? You're giving me a weird look over there. Why? <laughs> two, two birds, one stone. That's very unvegan of you. Yeah, it's not fucking vegan at all. <laughs> but it's true. So, so far, I guess I've been out maybe a dozen times, maybe to like, I don't know, 30-ish some locations for the most part. I am having a blast. And for me to be having fun in winter in Seattle, that's rare. And for me to be having fun, like actually fun shooting the Chamonix, that's also rare. The way I usually shoot, like when I'm driving around, like, I don't know, grasslands or whatever, it's very car-based. I go in the car, go from location to location. And that's essentially what I'm doing in Seattle. So I'm Ooh. getting that same feeling that I get, that same rush that I get when I'm traveling, even though I'm not really traveling, I'm in Seattle but I'm going to places I haven't been in Seattle before. And man, I'm really, really loving it. I'm kind of exploring a different subject matter for me as well. I'm hitting like heavy industrial areas, like the harbor, um, some abandoned department stores, a lot of the railroad stuff, things that I don't, I don't really shoot when I'm out in the, in the, in the field. Uh, anything that excludes new condos and the tech stuff that's just taking over Seattle. I'm looking for the old and somewhat original-ish, original-ish Seattle. So, but while I'm having a really, really, really fun time doing it, the deal here is I'm not loving the results that I'm getting. And that's a problem. It's almost to the point that I'm questioning whether I'm cut out to be a large format photographer. So I could be approaching it wrong and maybe I, I just don't get this camera or maybe I'm not getting the emulsion or the light or the development. I don't know. And I've had failures before. I mean, that's half of the fun of photography. We're constantly failing and constantly learning from it. But this one seems really sort of existential as far as large format goes. I'm not, you know, this isn't life changing or life altering or anything, but <laughs> You know, like, do you ever feel that way that you're just not like, I can't fucking get this. Maybe I'm not a photographer. Oh my gosh, all the time. Really? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Like, I'll even like, I'll post like something that I really like and I'll be like, yeah, I think I'm done. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to photograph anymore. This is as good as it's going to get. <laughs> yeah, I feel that way. I've taken some really, really wonderful photos with a Chamonix. Well, I kind of feel like the Chamonix, I've seen the Chamonix. Yeah. I've experienced it. And it is a lot fancier than the other camera yeah. and it was more expensive than your other camera yeah. much more and i don't know sometimes when i have nice things i'm like oh like scared of them a little bit i could see that yeah <laughs> like you can't really like it, it takes it's gonna take a while like i think you need to scratch it you oh, know what i mean I've dropped like, it okay good yeah scratch it yeah, drop it's, it's it you know up a little bit yeah slap it around a little bit and it, then maybe you'll feel more comfortable <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like a new camera anymore, but 
It may not even be the camera. It could be the lighting situation. It could be a number well, of different things. And yeah, I'm just, we've discussed this, obviously, like off mic. Yeah. And, you know, as far as lighting goes and just winter in general up there, it's definitely a lot different than I'm experiencing here. But um, that has a lot to do with it. So when you're traveling, you're usually out in the summertime. Yeah. So you're shooting like sunny 16 days and then, you know, the random storm that comes through. Sure. And you've got a whole array of gray there. You've got mm-hmm. all, how many zones? You've got all of the zones represented there. And in what I'm shooting now, you've got three, maybe four. And that's, mm-hmm. it should be, well, it's easy to figure out how you're going to meter it. And that's true. But how you're going to shoot it is a different thing. And I have not figured that out. I mean, it could be the emulsion too. Yeah. I mean, x-ray is a little tricky to begin with. It is. I'm so. doing Fomapan, which is also... Honestly, it's a little, foam pan's a little tricky to get. I'm having a lot of trouble with it. I know. Sometimes I can get good shots, but then sometimes I'm like, yeah. I hate this stuff. Yeah. And I don't think it's a quality <laughs> issue. I think it's a, it's a touchy film. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It can be. So, okay. That, that, I will report back on what I'm doing with this. Uh, this is an ongoing thing. I'll be doing this probably till March. Yeah. You're, you've been consistently going out. I yeah. mean, now you have like 10 days of rain or something ridiculous, but. Yeah. Well, I'll shoot in the rain too. Not like a downpour, but I'll shoot in it. You know, it's it's Seattle. I have to shoot in the rain or I don't shoot. So I'll report back. But what about you? What are what are you thinking about for this winter? Same stuff, basically. Um, the dark room situation. Okay. I need to like, well, I need to be able to tie things down. So if I do move it, <laughs> like things are like shifting around in there okay. and I need some storage. So I need to build some sort of like shelving um, for things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> Shelving for things. What else? Yes. The darkroom is like a major thing because what I'm trying to do is change the way that I'm approaching photography altogether. I have like a crazy backlog of images. It's kind of overwhelming. So in my mind, I'm like, I really would like just like this process to be go out and shoot something specific, whatever, (laughs) whatever it is. Uh, Come home, develop it, make a contact sheet, study the contact sheet, see what's worth printing and, you know, make write notes and uh, leave that with the negatives because you can get negative sheet holders with a like large pocket in the back to like stick one of those um, contact sheets. And also, oh, cool. you guys, contact sheets are like the best thing ever. Like, <laughs> ugh, I love them so much. I don't know why, but they're so pretty. I love contact <laughs> sheets. And then, you know, hopefully try to print some stuff because really when it comes down to it, like scanning is great and being able to share it online. But uh, again, making zines, printing things, I mean... That's kind of like the goal for me. Yeah. You know, that's that's the end result. I want to be able to print stuff. So keeping a consistent workflow, kind of maybe slowing down, not shooting as much. Mm-hmm. So then I can take the time and, you know, continue doing all those steps. Well, that same urge that you have to shoot, to go out and shoot. I've noticed lately that you've had that same urge to go into the darkroom and print. Yes. Yeah, that's a good sign. So right now I'm kind of like all over the place with the darkroom printing. Mm -hmm. I like owe some people some print, so I need to get on that. And then after that's done, I'm going to kind of like really start to get things organized in there and have things like ready. I already like put some like chalkboard wallpaper up so I can like (laughs) write down notes when I'm printing, (laughs) just like kind of get things the way that I I feel comfortable in there. So then I can just like hang out in there as long as I want. Sure. Another winter project is reading. I want to read a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you guys know this, but I am dyslexic. (laughs) (laughs) I have been my whole life. 
And uh, it's been like a pretty major struggle. I mean, I can read, it just takes me a lot longer to do it, which is hilarious because I do a podcast and we write a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I have we- to read <laughs> and read to you guys. <laughs> I think that was like a really big thing that I'm proud of. You should be. That I was able to like kind of get past that. I know that I've had some tearful moments with you like, I can't do this, you, have, you know, yes. like, and then just saying like, hey, this is who I am. I've been dyslexic my whole life. I had to be in a different, like I had to be in the special class. You know how it feels to be in the special class? No one likes that. <laughs> no, that is, that is true. So I want to read some more. I've been able to, with the podcast and Patreon, we've been able to get some really amazing photography books. And yeah. I would like to actually get through them and just learn something new that I can share with you guys. Now I'm putting myself out there because now we have to do it. But I would like to do some occasionally just like if I find something really interesting that's inspiring I would like to share it on the podcast yeah and like what book it's from and stuff like that just like you know a little paragraph nothing nothing too major no I love the idea and we will definitely do that so that's it for us I mean that's kind of what we're doing for this winter right I mean that's yeah it's enough I and I hope everybody else has something too I think it's important to kind of I mean it is such a I don't even know I'm so tired of saying it's such a weird time, but it really is. And I think it's, it's always good to kind of like put some, put some good energy out. Like, okay, this is what I'm going to work on right now. Yeah. I think it's a good idea. This episode, we're giving a call to Danielle Robleski. You might know her as Girl With Too Many Cameras on Instagram. You might also know her as the woman behind the hashtag Women With Film Wednesday. She's shaken things up lately, and we're going to dig into why this movement within the film community is absolutely necessary and essential. Let's give Danielle a call. The dishes soaking in the sink, by the way. Yeah. Hey, me too. Hey, and me too. We all have dishes soaking in the sink. I was like literally on the phone with Eric, like, I thought I was going to be able to finish these, so I guess I'm going to just soak them. (laughs) So how have you been? Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm... I actually am off from work today, so it's just been kind of a lazy day around the house. I really shouldn't have no reason for why dishes are soaking in the sink because I haven't <laughs> been doing anything today. <laughs> well, including dishes, and that's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so welcome on. So excited that you said yes to come on and talk to us. The reason uh, we asked you to come on is not just to talk, obviously, about your photography, which we will get to, but you were showcasing and featuring work from other women photographers. How did this all come about? That's a good question. It was not at all planned. This kind of came about very randomly. And so a couple weeks back, I just I was on Reddit. I saw somebody posted a poll saying, who's your favorite film photographer on YouTube and all the poll options were all men. I, I feel like I, I just see this type of thing happen all the time where when people are discussing 
their favorite photographers that it's very frequently the men that they're they're talking about. So when I saw this poll, I just, I don't know, I kind of just had enough. Maybe I was just on a short fuse that day, <laughs> but <laughs> I just, it was kind of like just the last drop. I didn't really actually think too much about it. I just screenshotted it. I put it up in my Instagram stories with a little mini rant about why are the women never included in these discussions. And then I very, very quickly, it went through my list of people I follow and just shouted out a bunch of female film photographers for people to check out, not at all thinking that anything really would happen. I thought most people would just skip by my story. Maybe five people would reach out, but it kind of went a little bit nuts. I think like 500 people responded to me that day and kind of took off from there. Unfortunately, just a couple days later, we had a very similar event where a a very well-known male photographer on Instagram put out a list of 14 people to check out and they were all men. (laughs) So it was like just like three or four days after my original stories that kind of went nuts, I was having to do the same thing again on Instagram. (laughs) And it was deja vu that I did not want to go through so quickly. (laughs) (laughs) You said you've received a ton of messages from other women after your initial Mm -hmm. post. Uh, mm-hmm. What types of things are the women saying? And did that really like help to convince you to start a hashtag? I, I really was blown away. So many people reached out. A lot of the women were reaching out with messages of gratitude. You know, that's not the first time we've talked about this issue in the community. But, you know, for whatever reason, this is the first time it's really caught on. And really, a lot of people are starting to take it seriously. So there's a lot of women who are reaching out just saying thank you for, you know, helping push this forward. I really got some heartbreaking messages, too, from women with just their own ex- experience with sexism in the photography world. I heard from some professional photographers who had told me that they had been told previously that when they submit work for a project that they should submit it under a male name because they will be taken more seriously. A lot of women have told me they they kind of regret making their online presence under a woman's name that they kind of wish that they could go back in time and set up their profiles under the guise of a man or a a gender neutral name because they think they'd be taken more seriously. And I also got a number of messages also from marginalized voices within the community of women, uh, a lot of women of color, um, LGBTQ people, um, just talking about their experiences too, and just how much harder it is for marginalized voices within the world of women to even get recognized. Yeah. So that really inspired me that this needs to be a movement that recognizes all women, everybody who identifies as a woman. And I wanted to find a way to make this part of our regular conversation because I didn't want it to just be a flash in the pan that we talked about for a couple days and it disappears. So that's kind of what gave birth to the hashtag women with film Wednesday. So if you see a person who's, or, or if you see a person or an account or a feature page that is kind of being sort of ignorantly shitty towards women, just being not inclusive and all of that, what can you say, what can you do to them to make them understand just kind of how shitty they're being? What I see the most with like individual men that's really been driving me a little bit nuts is men who don't want to talk about the issue, who feel like it's not their place to talk about it. This is a women's issue. I'm not going to spend my time a day addressing this on my page or in my stories. Um, And I think that's a really ignorant place to be in because women's issues are humans' issues. (laughs) Like They affect everybody. As I've said several times, we are 50% of the population, but at the same time, we are only 50% of the population. If we want to make real widespread change across the community, we need the active support of the other 50%. It's not a woman's problem. It's a man Mm -hmm. problem. This is this isn't a problem that women have created. This is a yeah, problem men have created. Point. And we need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. 
So one of the biggest responses against women with film that, that, that you have to deal with is coming generally from a man who says things like that we shouldn't take gender of the artist into account, that you should just judge art in its own merits. And that sounds like a rational way of looking at things. Take art for what it is. But why, why is that a flawed argument? <laughs> Yeah, I have I have heard that so much. So much so that the last guy who recently gave me that criticism, I kind of was just like extra short. <laughs> with him. I, was, I just was to the point of like, I've heard this a million times. I can't hear this anymore. Um, I ended up apologizing to him. I was like, I'm sorry, I was a bit short in my response to you. But and he he understood. The reason why that's a flawed argument is because that it might be a really great ideal like utopia for us to get to. Yes, I would love to see us where we're in a place where women and men are equal in this community and we can just judge art by its merit, but that's not where we are. The whole point that we're saying in this conversation is that women are making art that's just as good as the men who are constantly being recognized and they're not being recognized, the women. Mm -hmm. So the idea of, well, let's just judge art by its merits, that's clearly not actually happening. And so when that's not happening and we so clearly have a big imbalance um, in who's being recognized, you do need to be deliberate about who you are recognizing. You need to be intentional that who you're featuring, who you're recognizing is actually representative of the actual population. Mm -hmm. And maybe once we do that over and over again and it becomes just second nature, yes, maybe that's a great end goal, a future utopia that we don't have to worry about you know, gender, but that's not where we are right now. I recently was looking on, you know, the interwebs and there's this woman who's like, she shoots digital. She lives in Africa and she's been like on it about, you know, people that come like the white saviors that come and like photograph her town and all these things. And it's like, she kind of laid, laid it down like Canon, Nikon, all these companies and how many white male photographers they had as ambassadors. And then how many people that were women of, and women of color or men of color. And it was like striking difference between, I mean, like 50 white men, maybe one or two women, maybe one person of color. And that's insane. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I completely agree. So when talking to male photographers, I know a lot of times we couch language by kind of like saying, well, not, but not you, or, you know, we're not all men or, or things like that. Is it just time to stop doing that? I mean, if, if we're talking specifically to somebody who has made mistakes, I'm done with sugarcoating. I think it's completely possible to have conversations where you're maybe calling somebody out, but you're being respectful and civil about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's we're to the point where if we see somebody who is, you know, maybe making a mistake, we should ask them to do better and try to hold them accountable. And if they get offended by that, if you do it in a respectful way, then I think they need to maybe look at their life, look at their choices and figure out why they get so easily offended by the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Just a few more. We want to talk obviously about your photography as well. Yeah. So you seem to focus on a single idea or type of scene in your photography for an entire role. What dictates the subject? What is the film, the camera, the day? Like, does any of those things come into play with your decisions? Yeah, I think it's 
probably primarily the day. I'm really not as organized as a lot of other photographers are. I don't I don't like carry a logbook of all the things I want to shoot in the future. I just kind of wake up and go by what do I want to shoot today? And my my style of shooting tends to be more photo walk-esque. I'll just, you know, I'll pick if I want to go through a whole neighborhood or if I want to go to a hiking trail. And usually my goal is to shoot at least one whole roll of film, whatever photo walk I go on. So it's just, I wake up for the day. Where do I feel like taking a walk and shooting off a roll of film? Uh, I saw, I saw, well, today as of the recording, you mentioned on your stories that you're looking to get more into black and white. And so Mm -hmm. we had a question, like what sways you towards color? Uh, Mm -hmm. But What's swaying you towards black and white? Yeah, well, you know, so the reason why I've up until now been doing a lot of color is because a lot of the scenes I'm shooting is because I want to capture that color. You know, if I'm out hiking and I see a really lush, beautiful green scene, I want to preserve that that color memory. And same with a lot of my architectural photos. I, you know, I'm often drawn to buildings because of their color or color details. But the reason why I'm kind of feeling more, I want to do more black and white. Well, one, we're going into winter and winter in Milwaukee is just a lot of gray and blah. And I, I, I don't know if it's really worth shooting a lot of color film in that setting. I kind of feel like black and white might be better. And I, I did get to shoot a roll of black and white at my brother's wedding back in September. And something that it really made me realize for the exact opposite reason of why I love color, I love that black and white removes the distraction of color. You know, there were so many guests there who had like crazy colored outfits or that, you know, none of their outfits really matched. I mean, within one person it matched, but like person to person, you know. Um, and so I liked that the black and white kind of removed that distraction of all the different colors that were going on in the wedding and just helping you focus on like the emotional moments that I was capturing. So I do want to focus more on black and white for that element too, because I like that it takes the distraction of color out of the mm-hmm. equation. Coming up in the future, do you have any any projects you're working on? Well, I have a few projects that are uh, related to my work with trying to support women and, and working towards more representation of women in the film community. I do have a few projects underway with that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm quite ready yet to announce what those are. So TBD, <laughs> stay tuned. But <laughs> things in the works. That's exciting. Yeah. So for well. each episode, we ask our listeners to call in and uh, answer a question that we pose. Mm-hmm. Uh, the previous episode, they leave a, an answering machine message, and so the question for this, yeah, <laughs> the, end, the the question for the next episode, in which we will ask you now, is: Do you listen to music while you shoot? And if so, what? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I actually have a little bit of a different perspective on this. Sorry to be kind of serious about it, but I, <laughs> I I don't listen to music when I shoot, largely because oftentimes if I'm like walking around in an urban setting taking photos, I've, I've had quite a few issues with being harassed or followed. I actually had a car like chase me recently, which was terrifying. And so I, I'm a little bit worried about listening to stuff because I'm afraid it's going to take me out of being aware of what's happening around me. So mm-hmm. I sometimes I'll listen to a podcast, but I, I usually try to not have anything in my ears so I can really know what's going on. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry if I, I didn't mean to bring the mood down. No, no. <laughs> no. It's, it's the Eric answer. doesn't listen to music either. I do. I mean, I usually have one ear in. This year, I haven't really gone. I mean, I've gone places, but I've been basically in my van. Like, I'll just open the slider door 
and maybe take a step out. So I'll just be have music, not loud because I'm not obnoxious, but like I have music playing like in my van. Yeah, I actually I like posted on my stories recently about one of these incidences I had where somebody was harassing me when I was out shooting and a couple of people, I think it was all men, um, wrote back. They're like, oh, you should listen to music and tune them out. And I was thinking like, that's the exact opposite. <laughs> um, I mean, it would be nice to be able to tune those out, but I, I don't want to be removed by potentially dangerous things that could be happening <laughs> around. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately. Dude, I have like the best perifs ever. Like I'm always <laughs> like, what's going on over there? I don't know, but I'm gonna check that out. And also over here, there's something going on. So I'm just gonna keep my eye out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that's how it feels to be a woman. <laughs> that's exactly how it is. Yep. Well, I think that's it for our questions for you. So keep doing what you're doing. And we're super excited to hear what is happening. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully <Yes>. soon. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Oh, thank right. you so much. Thank All you. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Two episodes ago, we took a look at the zone system. We gave a basic overview to the best of our abilities. Since nobody lodged any formal complaints against us, we're trudging forward. While we talked about how to use a zone system to get a very average shot, that's not all you can do with the zone system. In this segment, we'll talk about how to get the photo you want, be it darker or lighter than average, using the same principles we used before. Vanya and I will both be talking about a couple of photos we took that could have looked a lot different and probably a lot more boring if we had stuck to the idea of just getting the average shot. Things. You can drop it a stop or two to get lighter lights and darker darks. So you can adjust things and you can use the zone system to make your image appear lighter or darker than it really is in reality. All you need is an understanding of how the more extreme zones will behave with more or less light. Okay, so let's leave that beautiful, mostly sunny scene and venture down to this was uh, Eastern Colorado to the Pawnee National Grasslands. Now, I stayed overnight there on July 4th. So this image that I'm going to be looking at here and talking about here was taken on Independence Day this past year. And it was the day before Vanya and I met up. Yeah. So this is what I was doing while while you were shooting off fireworks. I was. <laughs> I Oh my gosh, you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but my, my brother lives in Colorado and <clears throat> he went to Wyoming and got a ton of stuff and it was so fun to just like <laughs> blow shit up. It was amazing. I kind of feel like I should just spend 4th of July there every year. <laughs> yeah, well I had the same feeling with this cuz I had my own fireworks while I I set up my tent and there was a storm on the horizon and it was coming closer, closer and there was lightning striking. And so the scene I knew that I knew that I wanted to capture this. I knew that I wouldn't be able to capture lightning because I don't, I just, that's just something I'm not going to do. But I knew that Sounds I wanted to dangerous. capture this. Well, okay, it's dangerous, but I knew I wanted to capture the storm and I knew that I could do it right. And so I picked out my scene and right, this was, this was 
you, you're at my campsite and you just turn around and this is what you see. And it's an open field. It's a pasture. Cows are, well, they were grazing when the storm came up and they, they fucked off. And so <laughs> on the horizon is an old windmill that actually still worked. And that is maybe in the, the, the right third of the frame. And behind that windmill is what were pretty clear clouded skies. And so you have like a nice, kind of a nice normal lit day, mm-hmm. but that there's a little wedge that goes from a little over half the way up, half, a little over half the way up the frame to the horizon, which is about a third of the way up from the bottom of the frame. And it's a tiny wedge that makes a little triangle of light. Everything else in that, everything else above that horizon is dark, ominous, boiling clouds, except for a sliver of pretty dark rain so low-key if you guys didn't get that there's a storm coming through and there's a little sliver of light still left in the shot and the rest yeah. is dark <laughs> so i had a really lovely array of tones here i had the full spectrum almost the full spectrum and we'll get yeah, into it's that really beautiful yeah now it seems like it's dark and that it would be a very dark you know you have to watch out so you don't shoot it too dark and that really wasn't the case in the photo, it looks like it was, but in real life, it really wasn't. It was still pretty bright. There was some sun shining through. Mm-hmm. So my actual middle gray, which would be the zone five, was EV11. Now, EV11 is a few stops down from EV15, which is sunny 16. So it was darker. But EV11 is kind of a, a normal, cl- kind of a brightish, cloudy day. Yeah, I mean, you and- can definitely still handhold that. I did a few meter readings. I I metered the bright sky, which was EV14, which was zone eight. And there, that would have blown out my highlights kind of. EV8 is really close to blowing out. Mm -hmm. And so my middle gray were kind of the gray clouds, which was EV11, so my zone five. And the rain, which was the darkest part of the scene, was EV9, which is zone three. And not that dark. Mm -hmm. You know, you still have kind of a bright thing going on there. And I wanted it to be so dark that it almost bleeds into the frame mm-hmm. of the shot. So my original shot, if I would have done this, would have been F3.8 at one-eighth of a second. I can't handhold that. And I think I had a tripod, but I didn't want to bother with a tripod. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, with lightning and stuff. I, I mean, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... I wanted to make the rain zone one. Now you see what I'm doing here. It was zone three Mm -hmm. and I wanted to make it zone one and zone one is almost black, but not, not quite black, but almost black, but the darkest I wanted to photograph. Mm -hmm. So that means I have to drop everything two stops. Well, I have to drop the the image two stops, which bumps all the zones down. Right. Yes. And I'm sure I'm not getting the terminology exactly right, but essentially I wanted it to be darker. So I was going to shoot it faster. Yes. Yes. Your new settings would have yeah. been, uh, what was your middle gray, actually? My middle gray was the clouds. Okay, so zone five was the clouds. Yes. Um, and now with the new settings, it was dark gray, so zone three. Yeah, so that made the kind of the middle gray clouds dark and ominous. And Ooh. the point of this is making it ominous. I didn't want the image to... Be sorry, cheerful I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> in any sort of the way. fair i didn't want the final image to mirror what the image before me 
to what the scene before me looked like. I wanted it to be how it felt. I was getting hailed on during this, by the way. Mm -hmm. So I wanted it to feel dark and a little (laughs) scary because I was a little scared. (laughs) Okay. So now that the clouds are dark gray, your actual dark gray, which was the rain, which was zone three to begin with, is now almost black. And that's zone one. Exactly. And then the bright sky, which was zone eight, is now lightish gray, which is zone six. So you're going to be able to get some detail in that. It's not going to really like blast out. No, it it would have. And if you look at the photo, I do get some really nice kind of little crisp edge details in those clouds. It's really pretty. Yeah, thank you. That I wouldn't have gotten if I would have shot it as an average photo. Mm -hmm. So some of the sky still is a little bit blown out, but you're going to have that sometimes because you're dealing with nature and nature does what the hell it wants. Mm -hmm. So in the end, I shot this metering at EV9, meaning my, my, uh, my exposure was going to be done at EV9, which is F3.8, one thirtieth of a second, which probably shouldn't handhold, but I do. And I've got a pretty steady hand and you, Yeah, one of the things you got to know about yourself is your limitations, and that's not mine. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I can. Thank you. I can't really go lower than one sixtieth. I mean, I I try, but I'm also in the ocean and it's moving. So of course, yeah, I'm not. I'm just just stood still. So we have another example. Oh, do of we now? Kind of doing this, <laughs> we do. Yes, and this is your photo. Are people? <laughs> I hope everybody's still alive. Right? Is everybody okay out there? <laughs> I think they're doing fine. (laughs) Okay, let's get through this one. So, this is the photo of Marley, and I recently posted this. It was done on X-ray film, uh, ISO Uh 100, and I shot this at 4.7 at one-fifth of a second. Yes, so you use a Uh, tripod for this. I did use a tripod (laughs) for this, yes. Um, When I metered, uh, the actual light was EV5. Okay. But that would kind of give me like a fairly average photo kind of a a bland yeah uninteresting yeah yeah i would have probably had to shoot that at 4.7 at one second and this is my 13 year old daughter yeah (laughs) so (laughs) i mean rule number one it's a portrait so you know asking someone to stay that still i mean at least for me i like get nervous and i shake or like i move a little i'm like oh i can't do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah a second is a long time to not to not move Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was in the evening, and this was in the kitchen after we, like, we just got um, our tile floors done, which was really nice. So it was, like, all empty, and I needed to shoot x-ray film for Dev Party, because we needed to develop it. You did. (laughs) So I was like, Marley, (laughs) come in here. Let me get a picture of you. (laughs) So I placed her in this specific spot, because there was some um, afternoon light coming from one of the windows and i was like oh this would be really nice um if it was just a little bit more dramatic not ominous like eric but dramatic (laughs) dramatic yeah i can understand that (laughs) um so i wanted to get the dark shadow um on the darker you know side of her face but i didn't want to lose too much of the shadow detail yeah. The danger at shooting at actual EV5, there was a lot of issues here. The lighter cheek would have probably blown out. Because that would have at what, like around zone nine? Yes. Yes. So and, you don't want that to happen to skin. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, her, the dark side would have been well exposed, but then it would have just blasted out the other side of her face and that would not look good. And then her hair, she like, I let her bleach it. So it's blonde, almost white. It's And so that's always a zone 10. (laughs) (laughs) What you can do about that. Oh, I should ask her next time she wants to dye her hair. So what zone are we doing this time? (laughs) (laughs) What I decided to do is shoot it faster. Yeah, because that will make it darker. Yes, it would make it darker, number one. And then also, uh, it would hopefully uh, capture her without, you know, any sort of movement. She's pretty good at, like, holding still, honestly. She probably could hang, but it was a good choice. So, (laughs) um, by shooting two stops faster, I was able to get that that darker cheek a little bit darker, um, moving the zone five to zone three. Yes, you still have a lot of detail there, which is nice. Yes, yeah. And then um, her lighter hair would have not blown out, or okay, it didn't blow out. If you look at the picture, I'm sorry, no, you, did, you kind of nailed that. You said <laughs> was you 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 inched that down from a zone ten to about a zone eight. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. zone ten to zone eight, and then um, her lighter cheek was uh, what was a zone nine, mm-hmm. and now is a much safer zone seven. <laughs> safer zone seven, which is which is really nice. Yes. So I knew I could darken it up um, by two stops because of the zone mm-hmm. system. Uh, I ended up shooting it, like I said, at 4.7 at one-fifth of a second rather than one second. The average, you know, rating that I got. Yeah. And what turned out in the end is, I don't know how she feels about it, but I think one of the best pictures I've seen of Marley. Yeah. It's a really wonderful portrait. Um, it is. I wish I yeah. didn't use the Sturman Press tank for it. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe. You can X-ray see, film. if you guys look at this photo, um, you'll see like some darkness kind of across her bangs. And that's the Sturman Press <laughs> because this is x-ray and it has emulsion on both sides. So yes. it is so- not something you should probably develop in that tank. <laughs> no. So one of the things you can do to help you along with the uh, with well with learning the zone system is you can make a little cheat sheet for your spot meter. Yeah, and you can you can buy one on eBay for for ten dollars for a tiny little sticker, or you can use a piece of tape and make your r- own. The, make your own, yeah. Where the arrow is, just put a, a, a V or a five, and then each zone, just like each EV number, is a stop. So. Just to make this simple, if you were to put your arrow on EV14, which is your, where you draw your little V for zone five, um, 13 would be four, 12 would be three, 11 would be two, and going up the other way, 15 would be six, 16 would be seven, 17 would be eight, and 18 would be nine. Uh, we're humans. We notice patterns. Hopefully you guys got that. If not, there's there's definitely uh, a tutorial. Uh, obviously, YouTube videos too, but also the um, the negative. And, you know, Ansel has the three book series. And I don't know, I kind of feel like I, I got my books used and they're all from like different editions. So they're all different colors, but eh, I don't care. They're, they, they do have a lot of great information. And, um, you know, if you plan on printing... Too. Yes. Uh, just like how I've said in like specific dev parties, like picking developers for a better negative to get a better print, because at least for me right now, I'm kind of thinking of like that big picture. I want yeah. to, you know, expose very well, develop good in the right developer for that emulsion. And then I, you know, in turn, that gives me a good print at the end. 
So sorry, and you can do the same with scanning, and then ultimately your digital image. And you, of course, you can do a lot more with that. But really, the the less you have to do, kind of the better. Yeah, you know, if you if you get the negative that you want, the less manipulation you have to do, which makes your workflow just so much easier, and well, it makes and- printing easier. <laughs> yes. And I mean, if you notice the image of Marley, I did, I don't like, I don't really like to manipulate any of my photos. I like to keep them the way that they are. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's just the way that I do it. (laughs) Yeah. And you made contact prints from, from this one with Marley. I did. I was able to, yeah. I mean, she was able to get amazing contact prints from this negative because it was Marley. Marley made them. She did. She made them herself. Yeah, her her, uh, her her quote was, "This is really easy." Yeah, I know. Well, I went in there. I got all the chemicals ready for her. I set it up. I made sure that you know, like the enlarger was in a good spot and everything. And then, of course, I used this negative, which happens to be a well exposed negative. It has a lot of great contrast to it. So, yeah, yeah it in turn made a good print. So for her, it was like, "Oh, this is easy." <laughs> So we definitely missed out, and we definitely left out a lot of things, uh, sometimes for the sake of sanity and brevity, mm-hmm. but also, you know, we're new to this as well, and we definitely got some things wrong, and we probably misunderstood some things completely. And, you know, Adams, he was a very different person from us, I think. But if we completely botched something, we completely blew something, just let us know. We're, we're cool with that. Yeah. Right? Or maybe yeah. you have, like, a different way of doing it i would love to hear it and you know yeah send us an email maybe we'll read it (laughs) we just might (laughs) so you may have heard us kind of complaining a couple of months ago that we just didn't have zines to review i think we even took a, a episode or two off didn't we i think so yeah yeah now we have a ton we've got (laughs) so now we gotta get through them but we have Uh, reviews for you know a couple episodes so that's good that's great so we both have a couple of zines to review both are very colorful fanya what is your zine Ooh, a three-hour tour oh yes so um it's from sharkbait okay or andrew and it's a half-size zine 24 pages full color it's about 15 bucks and it's kind of like was really exciting when I got it. <laughs> yeah. It <laughs> because it had stuff. a bunch of extras and I love extras. So I got postcards and I got stickers and it came in a little clear plastic bag thingy. So yeah. everything was all neat and ugh, loved it. So much fun. So um, Andrew made a little zine about a specific day of good conditions on the East Coast. I can definitely appreciate and understand those moments so very well. <laughs> I think we all daydream um, surfers, I guess I'm saying, or you know, watermen in general, uh, of those days when the waves, wind and weather make up a special day. Yeah. This zine is a bit different than the usual photo zine. He incorporated some 1970s art into the spreads. It's very reminiscent of a Thomas Campbell movie called Sprout, (laughs) which is still actually one of like my most favorite surf flicks ever, if you haven't seen it. Definitely should see it. Three Hour Tour is a peek into surf culture and wave riding on the East Coast, which is 
kind of a foreign concept for me since I've never surfed over there. Uh, the shots he is taking from the beach with his analog camera is a step back into old school surfer magazine-esque shots. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy to shoot surfing. And if you are not a surfer, it's even harder being able to anticipate a maneuver. Andrew does this very well with glorious grain of film. (laughs) Thank you so much for sending me your zine. If you are looking for something fun and creative to add to your zine collection, I would recommend grabbing Three Hour Tour. Now, this was one that's kind of like just up your alley, really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I I really like how he incorporated the like kind of 70s frames. Yeah, it's the design is really fun in this. It is. It is. It's a lot of fun. It looked like he definitely went all out and had a lot of fun yeah. making it. I just it's just awesome. I love it. So how do we get this if we want it? And we do. How do we get it? So you can check out his Instagram. He has a link to his website okay. where his zine is available. Okay. And what's his Instagram? It's at S-H-R-K underscore bait, B-A-I-T on Instagram. Cool. So there's a link in his bio. And the last I heard, he sold out of his first run, but it's available. I'm looking at it right now. Yep. There it is. It's available. So go get it. That's awesome. awesome. All right. So what do you have for us? Well, I have a really interesting treat called City and Flowers Trichromes by Anthony Pearson. This is huge. It's magazine size, like a really big magazine. It's 78 pages. It's perfect bound. It's full color. It's it's okay. It's bonkers. <laughs> it's bonkers. Yeah. Like I said, it's full color, but it was shot all on black and white film. So how is this possible? Well, it's in the name, trichromes. Trichrome is the process of taking th- three identical black and white images using panchromatic film. And then you filter each successively with a red, a green, and a blue filter. After developing a normal black and white developer, the photos are then tinted red, green, and blue respectively. You can do this digitally, but they used to do it analog with uh, tinting the negatives, or I guess positives. I'm not exactly sure. Positives, I believe. Anyway, the images are then laid over each other to form what appears to be a color image. And to our eyes, in our brain, it absolutely is a color image. In this case, the film Andrew used was FP4, developed in Rodinol, a wonderful combination. Like I said, this zine is huge. It's essentially the size of a glossy magazine, and each image is thus gigantic. He took, I think they're mostly, or maybe all of them are vertical, so they fill the entire page. Being a zine called City and Flowers, the photos are just that, flowers on the right, a city scene on the left. Capturing either with trichromes is challenging. Flowers, in this case, might be a little easier since they all seem to be in a kind of controlled environment, still life. It's beautiful. But the city scenes, they look, my God, look incredibly difficult to take. Uh, I've taken my fair share of of trichromes. I'm I'm no stranger to the process. I've done it quite a bit. Uh, Some I've loved, some were, you know, so-so. Essentially in this scene, though, every shot here is wonderful. The, the, The work that went into this, it's, it's not just like 70 some photos. These are 200 plus photos that this guy took and then did the process of, of combining them and matching them up. And it's, it's a long process. This took months, maybe. I don't know. It's a long process. And I think it's one of these zines where if you know the process behind how everything was made, it adds the, the second layer of respect. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah. It comes from England. It's like I said, it's a huge zine. 
it, it's roughly 26 bucks US. It's, look, man, it's worth it. It's just a good zine, especially if you have any interest in trichromes, just to see what's the possibilities that, that are out there for you. I think mm-hmm. it's worth buying and you can pick it up at dankspangle.com. He has it there. And you could, or you can visit his Instagram, which is at Dank Spangle. He, he's, a, he's a funny fellow and his zine is just a wonderful zine. I really recommend it. Thank you, yeah. Anthony. And uh, thank you, Andrew, for sending us the zines in our moment of, of need. We really appreciated it. And we got two really amazing zines. Thank you so much. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash lens. We've got bonus episodes, full-length interviews, and a growing number of things. And we know things can be pretty tight with all of us right now. I know they are with me. So if you need to pause your Patreon account, we absolutely understand. No hard feelings. We're all in this together, and we look forward to you coming back once things are better. And so this episode, we've got a few new Patreon subscribers. Yes. Yes. Who do we have? Michael Bomarito. Kat Swansea. And Holland. Yes. It's it's wonderful. I guess, I don't know, the reciprocation that we're getting from all of this. It's really, really wonderful. So as with every episode, we have a featured patron. And this episode is no different. Who do we have this time around? <laughs> the one, the only, Kali Matorn. God damn, we love this guy. <laughs> Okay, I do have to say I'm sorry. I'm supposed to send him a package, and I have not done it. He's already moved like once, and I ha- he gave me his new address. Hopefully, by the time I send it, he doesn't move again. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you don't follow Colin Matorn, it's quite an eclectic feed. He has a bunch of projects, a bunch of fun stuff going on. I mean, anywhere from HP5 to cyanotypes to pinhole cameras, mm-hmm. crazy film, mm-hmm. all sorts of analog goodness, basically. He's been there from the beginning almost, right? Was he maybe on the first episode even? I think he called in on the first episode. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did. It's always a joy to when he calls. I don't know. He's bring, brought a lot of joy to us, and we hope that we've brought a bit of joy back to him. He's a really great guy, a really supportive guy. He's always there for a bit of advice, whether it's photography or otherwise. He's been kind of a great addition to our little podcast family, and we're glad he's here with us. Yes, I think so. So thank you, Jonas, for all of your help and all of your support. We love the hell out of you. <laughs> So thank you. So before we go, we just wanted to mention the question for next week. I, of course, will remind you on Instagram at some point. But if you wanted to, you know, think about it for a little longer, what is the question? Well, the question is, do you listen to music while you shoot? And if so, what? And even further, does music affect how you shoot? Now, this doesn't necessarily mean you're walking around with headphones. We talked to Danielle and, you know, she gave us some good reasons why that may not be a great idea. So maybe it's the music you have in the car while you're driving from location to location or on the way to a shoot or something. Does music affect you in that way? If you listen to one thing, does it make you shoot a certain way? Or if it's into another thing, make it shoot a different way. Tell us all about how music and your photography interact. 
And that's about all the podcasts we got for you today. But there is actually one more thing. <laughs> is this the Julia Tool thing? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, so we offered a book for free. All you had to do <laughs> is tell us what two reservations Julia Tool lived on and shot on. Yes. <laughs> and, well, nobody, uh, nobody came through. A little disappointed, but, you know, we <laughs> Nobody still... wants the book. <laughs> no, so let us know. Let us know. Yeah, if you still want the book, I still have a copy of it. Just send me a message. Whoever gets to it first can have it. If not, then I will put it in a little library, like, somewhere around town. I don't know. Scavenger yeah. hunt. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great. It sounds great. Should we tell them the answer? No. Yeah. Go back no. and listen. <laughs> Go back and look. <laughs> Oh, is there anything else you need to say? Yes. Okay. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. And we're allthroughalens on Twitter. Vanya is at surfmartian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Both on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff. Hashtag allthroughalenspodcast to be featured. We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode, so check those out and see what we're listening to. Just search All Through a Lens. You can also find our episodes on Spotify, as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you find podcasts. Subscribe and leave us a review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all for a wonderful, weird, bad, but good year. Yes, good but bad year. We, we do love you. We really do. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. Yes. Ah, uh, Vanya. Uh, yes. Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. I saw it. I saw it. I'm in it. I'm in it. <laughs>